Laura hand real quick. Thank you. It's so consistent doing that. I mean, you know, never have to worry about her. She has such a servant heart. We appreciate you. Appreciate Shirley for opening us up with one. Kurt and everybody that is involved in these services. Uh, so in the spirit of unity, we're going to divide the room real quick. Uh, so we're going to play a game this morning. And the game is, this is better than that. And so what's going to happen, the rules of the game are pretty simple. There's going to be two images that pop up on the screen. If you think the image on the left, see, we have directions. If you think the image on the left is better, you will raise a hand. It doesn't matter which hand, but if you think the left image is better, raise a hand. If you think the image on the right is better, you will not raise a hand at all. So by not participating, you are still participating in this game. So just keep that in mind. And on this first one, everybody does not have to participate. So don't worry about this first one. Uh, I'm sure you all already know where this is going, but our first image, if you think the left image is better, raise your hand and nobody's going to participate. I love you all. And if you see hands up, those are people we will be praying for. And uh, yes, it hurts my heart. I see some of, some of y'all not raising hands that I thought would raise a hand, and I'm okay with that. The truth just came out. Um, so yeah, uh, obviously a vast majority thinks that the Longhorns are better. In all fairness, they're not. <laughs> we'll just be honest. We have a losing record this year. It's bad. Uh, our team's just rough, so we are not the better team. But facts don't lie. Uh, next picture. Uh, on the left, you have Chick-fil-A. On the right, you have Popeyes. This was a really big debate for a while. I don't even know why. Chick-fil-A all the way. Again, if your hand is not raised right now, I don't know what you eat. Because Popeyes is okay, but it's not even a comparison to Chick-fil-A. All right, cycling through these again. Next one. Sorry, farmers. <laughs> Had to do this. <laughs> if you think John Deere is better than Gleaner, uh, you'll raise your hand. If you think Gleaner is better, you won't raise your hand. Um, Jeffrey, I'm sorry. My brother works for John Deere, so I'm raising my hand on that one. All right, next up, Chevy and Ford. If you think Chevy is better, raise your hand, and you obviously are wrong. Uh, <laughs> Ford. Technically, Ford's not even better either. Uh, I didn't throw Toyota, Toyota or Nissan because we had to have some division. Everybody would know both of those. Mustang's rule. Yeah, Mustang's rule. All right, next one. Oh, look at that. I don't even know how that one got in there, but those hands can stay down. Um, we don't even need to. And I'm thinking if we're going mustaches, um, no brainer here. Uh, anyways, no. Sorry, J.D. I told you that was coming. And I'm going to pay for that one, I'm sure. Peanut M&Ms or regular M&Ms. Peanut all the way. Peanut all the way. Told you we're dividing the room here. Next up, got a couple more. Chocolate or vanilla. Uh, I forgot my own rules. Vanilla. Yes, vanilla. Uh, I think we got two more maybe. Two more. Pie or cake. Honestly, I don't know if you can go wrong, but I'm a cake person. Cake is dope. I'm no, I don't know if you can go wrong. I mean pie and cake both are And if your rules are wrong. If you want pie, you have to raise your hand. If you want cake, you don't. Oh, my bad. My bad. 
that I used to be a teacher. But uh, <laughs> all right, <laughs> whatever. I can't follow my own rules. And the last one, we, we've got Abraham Lincoln. If you don't know who these people are, uh, open a history book. Abraham Lincoln on the left. George Washington on the right. Um, both are really good guys. Uh, I have never personally met either of them, um, but I've read a lot about them. So, and, and people have differing views. That was our last one. Um, and really, as you can see, uh, we're, we're really kind of split on those. We have people who think some things are better, people who think something else is better. And honestly, it's subjective. I mean, it really, it, it's a matter of opinion on all of that, of which is better. But there's one thing that is not subjective, and that's our series that we're going into, is Jesus is better. Regardless of what you hold Jesus up next to, every single one of those images, Jesus is going to be better. We could have even brought out a literal pot of gold, like billions of dollars worth of money and said, is this better or is giving up everything and living in poverty for Jesus better? And the true answer is Jesus is always going to be better. And so we're going through this series where we're looking at that, where we're looking at Hebrews and the author of Hebrews spends the first two thirds of his letter or book saying that Jesus is better. Am I on with my mic? I hear an echo. I am muted. That is the problem. I unmuted it. I'll get the hang of this in the next 10 years, maybe. All right. But we're, we're going through where the author of Hebrews spends the first two-thirds of the book just saying Jesus is better. So last week we looked at how Jesus is better than the angels and the prophets. And just like that last image was two really good uh, leaders of America, maybe what might be considered the, the two best presidents in the history of America, what our, what our author of Hebrews today is going to do is tell us Jesus is even better than the greatest historical figure in the Jewish culture, in the Jewish history. Because according to Numbers chapter 12, God has this to say about Moses. He says, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my service mo servant Moses? And then he says in Deuteronomy 34, There has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. And so we see that God is saying like, man, Moses, he, he was somebody special. I mean, he was something that God spoke to him face to face, not like he did with anybody else. And then he says, not even really since then. And so the Israelites had this really big view of Moses. And the author of Hebrews is about to tell us, Jesus is far better than Moses. And so we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3. And we're going to read the first six verses. If you'll stand as we read these verses, and then we'll open up in a word of prayer. He says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. 
For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Father God, we come before you this morning, and we're just grateful again that we can gather together, and God, be in your word. And I just pray that right now, as we just get ready to see what you have to say, God, may we, through this message, just see who you are. And that living a life for Jesus is far better than anything this world has to offer. So God, may we just strengthen our faith. Uh, Not even us, God, I ask you to strengthen our faith this morning. We love you, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray this. Amen. Thank you. And so we're going to really look at four different things this morning about Jesus compared to Moses. We're going to see how Jesus ultimately is a better deliverer than Moses. We're going to see how he's a better provider than Moses, how he's a better healer than Moses. And then lastly, we're going to see how he is a better leader than Moses. And really, whenever you look at these things, you can ultimately say, yeah, but God did that. And so I'm giving credit, credit to Moses ultimately realizing, yes, it was God who did it all. But we see first off that Moses is probably credited with delivering Israel out of Egypt. I mean, he's the one that was called by God out of the burning bush, and God says, I'm going to use you to deliver my people out of bondage. You are going to be the tool that I'm using to deliver them. He says that in Exodus chapter 3 verse 10. He says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And so when you look back at Israel's history, obviously that's like a monumental moment. Where if you are an Israelite and you remember or you have been taught that your people used to be in bondage, not just like slavery, but like major severe oppression And then here this guy comes and is used by God to deliver you out of the most dominant force in the the world at that time. You're going to get a lot of credit. I mean, it's kind of the equivalent of George Washington, kind of viewed as one of the greatest presidents because of what he did. Because he was the first president out of the Revolutionary War, where we weren't really as Americans in slavery, But the whole theme of the Revolutionary War, or not the whole theme, but a mantra of it was no taxation without representation. And so they went to war to gain their independence in Declaration of Independence. Maybe it's clicking for some people. Gain their independence from England, from Great Britain. And so George Washington then became the first president, and he was a big leader during that time. He gets a lot of credit for that. So, of course, Moses is going to get a lot of credit and be viewed as this man, Moses. He was there when our people led, and he was the one that was representing our people before God, and he delivered our people out of Egypt. And so the people of Israel always looked back to Moses as that. He is the guy that freed our people. And just as a lot of Americans look back at George Washington as he was one of the guys that was instrumental in helping us set our independence from Great Britain. 
just like so many people today are looking at things or substances or professions or whatever it is, thinking that is what will deliver me. They look at substances or alcohol or whatever it is, and they're like, I just need to be delivered from the current pain that I experience. And so I'm going to go to drugs. I'm going to go to alcohol so that I can have moments of escape from this world. I need to be delivered from this harshness. And so that's what will deliver me. Suicide is probably at one of its highest rates right now. Because so many people are thinking, I just need to be delivered from this life. And the best option that I can come up with is taking my own life. They're looking for something to deliver them. That's kind of deep and dark, and so things that we go to that aren't so dark are careers. Man, if only I could get that career, it would deliver me from poverty. It would deliver me from all my financial burdens. It would deliver me from not being able to get the fun stuff that I really wish I could have. I mean, how much money, how much more money do you need to be happy? I heard a deal the other day that people say $2 million is now the number in which whew, you can relax and be comfortable. Two years ago, it was $1 million. Everybody that has $2 million is saying, no, it's actually not $2 million. It's $10 million. And the 10 millionaires are like, actually, it's a billion. And you go on and on and on. Because we're looking for this career to deliver us from our struggles. We're looking at relationships. Man, if only I was able to be with that person, then everything would be solved. I would have no struggles at all. And then you realize that person is also a sinful human being. And it comes with its struggles of its own. Or maybe it's like, man, maybe if my name was just high enough, if I, if I got more accolades, then that would deliver me out of loneliness. People would know who I am, and I would feel a sense of purpose because I had influence. And then you realize that really the influence that you have does not go very far because you say one thing wrong, and then you're going to get canceled. And then your influence is nothing. We're constantly looking to other things to deliver us. And a question that is easy to ask that might solve, what am I looking to deliver me right now? What do you need to make you happy? What do you need to truly make you happy at this moment? I mean, Christmas is coming around the corner. Oh, if I just had that uh, programmable crock pot, because that's the only thing that's coming to mind right now, then I would be happy. <laughs> If, I can't think of a single other gift right now. But, you know, it's like, oh, if I had that new phone, if I had that new, if whatever it is, because this is what society is going to throw at you starting now. If you had this new item, it would make you happy. Also known as it will deliver you from your despair. It is the solution to all your problems. And what we see is all those things. Everything that we look to in that situation, relationships, drugs, alcohol, careers, money, social status, all of that's not going to deliver you. It's actually going to enslave you more. You're going to become more and more of a slave to it. Uh, common example right here. I wanted the new phone, and so I got it. And I thought, man, like, if I got a smartphone, and I had a smartphone before, but I thought, when I get a smartphone, it'll save so much time. 
because I won't be needing to run to my computer. I can just respond to emails right there and all this stuff. And suddenly it's a trap and it is sucking you in more and more. And now it tells you how much of a slave you are to your device because it pops up that screen time and we're not touching on how long that is. But it's just like, man, you become a slave to it. The reality is nothing will deliver you except for Jesus. He is the better deliverer. He, because he not only delivers us from our current struggles, and honestly, that may not happen. You may not escape financial debt. You may not get a name for yourself. You may not get that perfect relationship. But what you get is you get delivered out of something far worse than those. You get delivered out of sin and its bondage, and you get delivered out of ultimately death. I mean, Jesus came to deliver us from sin and death. Paul, he knew all too well what it was like to fight for his freedom, to fight for right relationship with God, to actually be a slave to it all. And Paul, throughout his writings, he says multiple times, how none of that can deliver you. He says in Galatians 5.1, for freedom, Christ has set you free. He says in Romans 7, 24 through 25, right before this, he's saying, I'm a slave to my own body. The thing I don't want to do, I keep on doing. And the thing I want to do, I don't do. And then he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's who's going to deliver me. That's the only one that can deliver me. 1 Thessalonians 1.10. He says that we are to wait for God's Son from heaven, whom God raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. You see, there's a wrath coming. And it's ultimately, it, or it's, it's tribulation. And then beyond that, it's the second death. And nobody is going to be able to stand there before God and say, hey, God, I've got five trillion dollars. Does that get me out of hell? No. Hey, God, I had three billion followers on social media. Does that get me out of hell? No. God, I did all this stuff. Does that get me out of hell? No. The only person that will deliver you from the wrath to come is Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. God, or Jesus, delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will again deliver us. And then uh, 2 Peter 2, 9. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the, righteous, uh, to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And then ultimately, Romans chapter 8. God has done what the law, by trying to deliver ourselves out of obedience to the law, it could never do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, God condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You see, Jesus is the ultimate deliverer. Like Moses delivered the people out of Egypt, Jesus delivers people out of death, out of slavery to sin. Something far greater. He came to set the captives free. Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives 
and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty, set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is the one that came to deliver us from all of our bondage from our slavery to sin, from our own selfish desires, from the argument that Paul constantly had of, why am I doing the thing that I don't want to do? I said I was never going to do that again, and I did it again. Why? Who's going to save me? Because I've tried. And the more and more I'm trying, the worse and worse I'm getting. Who's going to save me from that? Jesus, surrendering your life over to him. He is the deliverer of us from sin. And not only is he a better deliverer, because it's one thing to set captives free, like boom, prison doors open, walk through them. Good luck now. You're free. But man, you've started from rock bottom. What do you do? But Jesus is also a better provider because he doesn't just set us free and then say, good luck figuring it all out. But he says, now I'm going to work through you and I'm going to feed you. Because you see, as Moses delivered, delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, they then started wandering through the wilderness, not even on their uh, disobedient trail, but just working their way to the promised land. And while they're working through it, they start complaining and grumbling. And they're like, man, we had it so much better in Egypt. Yeah, our backs were being whipped, we were sore, we were exhausted, but boy, we ate some good food there. Like that lentil stew, mm-mm, so good. And they don't even realize the reality of it, and so they're complaining and they're saying, if only we could go back to Egypt. It says this in Exodus 16. The people of Israel said, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full, they're not realizing how it really was right there. That is not true. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. And then you jump to verse 3 of chapter 17, where they, God provided that. He gave them what's called manna. And then they start complaining again. Like you don't even get a chapter later. And in ch verse 3, it says they thirsted. Now it's water. They thirsted for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Jump into verse 6. Behold, I will stand before you. This is God speaking. I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you, speaking to Moses, shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And so God is providing through Moses manna and water. But you know the thing is, later on, the people start complaining again. The people are unhappy with Moses and unhappy with God because they're getting hungry again and they're getting thirsty again. And if they did not eat the manna, it went bad the next day. It was a temporary provision. But we see that through Jesus, he gives us an eternal provision. 
He tells us that he is the bread of life and he is the living water. In John chapter 4, he goes to this woman in Samaria and he meets her at the well in the middle of the day where she comes out in the heat and she's drawing water because of her past. And he says to her, if you knew who is offering you water, you would ask for a drink from him. Because you would never have to thirst again. This is John chapter 4, verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and what it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would have given you living water. And then he said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Speaking of literal, physical water. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is that living water in which when we just drink him in, when we just fill ourselves with him, we never thirst again. John chapter 6 verse 35, Jesus said to them, I'm also the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst and so, yeah, we can give people food. We can have great handouts of food, and we're feeding people for a day. You know the whole saying, give a man a fish, feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, feed him for a lifetime. Give somebody just physical provisions, you cover their physical needs, but they need something so much deeper. They need the spiritual provision that only comes from God through Jesus where they will never hunger or thirst again because he'll satisfy them. You know, I truly believe, and honestly, failing at it daily, but I honestly believe that if we could find total identity in Christ, finding everything that we need from him only, and we said, forget what the world has to offer, I don't care, we would be completely satisfied. Jesus says it right there. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger nor thirst again. But what we do is we're like, hey, I'll take a nibble of Jesus, but I want to be fed with the junk donuts of crud that this world has to offer me. And then it's like, Jesus, you're not really that satisfying. And it's because we're not totally taking him in. We're not finding our ultimate identity in him. We're finding it in what this world has to offer because you see, Jesus meets our needs on a much deeper level, not just physical, but on a spiritual level, on the soul level that goes so much deeper that ultimately answers all the questions of life. Because it's like, well, I need a purpose. Awesome. Jesus gives you that. Well, I, I need this longing to be satisfied. Jesus fulfills that longing. Well, I need an identity. Jesus gives you the greatest identity there is. Well, I need provisions. Jesus says, hey, I'll give you what you need. Now, you might not be a billionaire, but I will provide for you. He says, don't, like, don't worry about all this stuff, like your food or your clothing or all that stuff. Look at creation, how God has provided for it all. Are you not much more valuable than they? He's saying, I will provide for you. Jesus is the better provider. But again, the thing is, is even if we find all of our identity in Jesus, we're sinful human beings. We have that nature in us that Paul struggles with in Romans chapter 7. And so we fall short and we find identity in other things. And we pursue, oh, I wish these people knew who I were, was 
Oh, goodness. I wish I didn't say that word that way. Uh, You know, like, whatever it is, I wish my identity was this. I wish my money was this. I wish, God, honestly, you're not fulfilling me. We fall short. And that's the great thing about Jesus, is he is also the ultimate healer. I mean, we look at Moses while they're wandering through the wilderness, and they complain, and they bicker, and they, they worship false idols. And so God just rightly so gets mad. And he says, I'm going to send flaming serpents through your camp, and they're just going to start biting y'all. And when they bite you, you're done for. You're dead. And to save the entire camp from dying, God tells Moses, this is what you need to do. You need to build a serpent out of bronze and put it on a pole, and you stand that pole up. And if a person is bit by a snake, they look to that pole, and they, they look to that serpent, and they will be saved. It says, Numbers 21, The Lord sent fiery serpents, which freaks me out. I have nightmares about that among the people. And they bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We've sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. But again, that healing was temporary. They'd get bit, they'd look at the serpent, and then days later, they'd get sick. Years later, they ended up dying. None of them are alive today. It was a temporary healing. Whereas Jesus fulfilled even what that represents. That Jesus is the perfect healer. We're told in uh, one of Peter's writings, I think it's First Peter, by his stripes you have been healed. You see, Jesus, when he's talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he meets Nicodemus in the night, and he tells Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not, whoever denies, whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You see, Moses built that bronze serpent that brought temporary healing, and Jesus is saying, my healing is eternal. That whoever believes in me will not perish, but will have eternal life. That ultimately, it's a hard pill to swallow, but for believers, whenever we pass, we receive the ultimate healing. That we have been ultimately healed because we will never experience sickness or heartache or sorrow or pain again. That we get to be in the presence of God forever. And so, notice though, that whenever the Israelites are bit by a serpent— it requires faith on their part to receive that healing. Notice that they're bit, and God tells Moses, whenever someone is bit, what they must do is they must look at the serpent, and they will be healed, which gives faith involved there that I believe, man, I just got bit. Um, God says, if I look at the serpent, I'm healed. That seems ridiculous, but I'm going to look, and I'm healed. It requires faith 
to receive the healing from Jesus. Because Jesus says that the Son of Man will be lifted up, and whoever has that faith to say, man, I'm not right with God, but God tells me that if I believe in Jesus, if I look at the cross, if I look at what Jesus did, then I'll be healed. If I place my faith in that payment, then my sins are forgiven, and I can be made right with God. That seems so crazy, but I'm going to live by faith. And I'm going to respond in faith. So I'm going to look to the cross and, man, I see my sin is up there. And my, my hard efforts, they're not measuring up. But it's all that what Jesus did that when I say, Jesus, that sacrifice is what makes me right with God. You are healed. By his stripes, you have been healed. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We are called to respond in faith. And you see, Jesus, he delivers us out of sin and death. He provides for us the satisfaction of our soul. And when we fall short, he heals us. He's already healed us when we place our lives in his hands through faith. But not only that, Jesus leads us to something so much better. You see, Moses was not even able to lead Israel into the promised land because of his own downfall. Deuteronomy 32. Because one of those times God said, speak to that rock. And Moses got so mad that he hit the rock with his stick. And God got mad. He said, because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin, and because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel, for you shall see the land before you, but you shall not go there into the land that I am giving to the people of Israel. Moses led them all the way up to that promised land, but he could not lead them into the promised land. Whereas Jesus leads us all the way into eternal life. Jesus leads us not just up to the river Jordan, but through it to eternal life, to the presence of God. John 3, 16, again, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that if you believe in him, you will not perish, but have eternal life. He's not just leading you up to, hey, look, you don't have to go to hell, but you're going to be done. Like, no more existence. He leads you into eternal life. He is a far better leader then Moses, then Washington, Lincoln, whoever you want to fill in that gap of, this person will lead me. It's only Jesus. He is the ultimate leader. He is the best leader because he's done what nobody else and nothing else could ever do. Again, whatever your heart is desiring that is of this world is gonna fall short. It's gonna leave you disappointed. It's gonna leave you wanting more. But Jesus fulfills all of that and leads you through. He is the only one that can save you, the only one that can deliver you out of sin and out of death. I mean, even presidents, like George Washington, all those guys that signed the Declaration of Independence, signed the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, where everybody's like, those are my freedoms, they can be taken away. Presidents can't honestly totally guarantee your freedoms. Only Jesus can ultimately guarantee a true freedom that lasts. He is the ultimate leader. So the question remains, though, and this is where the author of Hebrews goes. How do we respond? 
How do we respond to this truth that Jesus is so much better? Starting in verse 7. Sorry, verse 12. He says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. You see, God is saying, I'm better. And I believe that if you're here, you have that interest in your mind. Maybe you haven't placed your faith in that, but you're thinking there's, some, there's something better to this life than what I'm figuring out already. Maybe it's Jesus. Maybe it's God. So I'm going to go and I'm going to hear. And so God is working on your hearts. And he is saying that if you have not done that, then don't harden your heart to it. But respond to what he is calling you to do, to place your faith in him. And then you know what he's saying? That if you've placed your faith in him, if you have responded, he's saying persevere. Keep fighting along. Keep realizing and reminding yourself and one another that Jesus is better. And he says right there in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 through 15, he gives two ways that we persevere. He says we persevere by holding fast to the word of God. And also, I believe we persevere by living in close relationship with one another, by being involved in each other's lives. By getting to know one another. That is, that is why the Bible tells us multiple times to encourage one another. It said it right there in verse 13. Exhort one another. It doesn't say exhort yourself. It says exhort one another every day. Did that end when this was written? No, it says as long as it is called today. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Because this world is going to throw so much garbage at you. I mean, honestly, if you don't work in a Christian environment, you're surrounded by a lot of negativity. Turn on the TV. You're not going to receive God's word telling you this is how you should live your life. Instead, you're going to receive the opposite, telling you if it feels good, do it. That if you want that substance, just indulge yourself. Go ahead. It doesn't hurt anybody. The world is throwing lie after lie after lie. And if you do not have a group of believers that you can rely on to encourage you, to exhort you, to remind you Jesus is far better than that substance, than that program, than that ad, whatever it is, Jesus is better. Hold fast to him. It starts to wear you down. That's why the author reminds us and encourages us and honestly commands us to exhort one another, encourage one another. And we have to know each other to do that. I need people in my life to see the tells in me. That's like, man, you're kind of starting to drift this way. And I can tell it. And so, dude, get back on track. Don't go that path. Like, hey, you're really not honoring your family. I've noticed that you're, you're gone a lot. I've noticed that you're hanging out with this other person a little too much. I've noticed that you're lowering your defenses a little too much and you're opening yourself up to weakness. Don't do it. 
Stand firm in the faith. Hold fast to the confession of hope that you had. Hold fast to the confidence that you have in Jesus. Jesus is better. Hold fast to his word. Because the, the world is not going to tell you that. The world is going to say compromise, compromise, compromise. We need to remind each other, no, hold fast. Toe the line. Hold tight and don't let go. Because it's not just values, it's life and death. It's relationship with God. You see, we're told in Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. The Christian faith is not a sprint. It's not, hey, I got baptized one time, I gave my life over to Jesus, and that was it. But instead, that was the start of a marathon. Paul uses a marathon as a, as a simile, as a metaphor, more times than anything else, as his example of the Christian faith. That it is a marathon. We are in this for the long haul. It's not a, yeah, I got baptized one time and I died to myself then. But it's daily, Luke 9, 23. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Every single day, you're waking up and saying, I am dying to my desire for that drink. I'm dying to my desire for fame or influence or more money or whatever it is that you are seeking after. I'm dying to that, and God, I'm going to lift you up. John, the Baptist said in John chapter 3, verse 33, I must decrease and he must increase. Less of me, way more of Jesus. But again, we need to encourage each other. We need to hold fast and persevere. And then we're going to close with this reward that the author tells us in chapter 4. Verse 6 through 10. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, he appoints a certain day. He's talking about rest. Today. Saying through David so long afterward. In the words already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if it was the rest that Joshua had given them, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So there is an eternal rest. That if you fight the good fight of faith, as Paul tells Timothy, if you hold firm to the confidence of the hope that you have placed in Christ, when you blink your last blink on this earth, you wake up to an eternity. You have eternal life waiting for you. But Jesus says, John 17, 3, eternal life is not something that we're aspiring to in the future. It is here and now, knowing God and knowing Jesus whom he has sent, having relationship with them. That's pretty worth it. It is far better, Jesus said this, it is far better, as we saw in that, to lose your life so that you can gain eternity than to try and save your life on this world and lose eternity. It is better to have nothing on this earth but an eternal dwelling with God than to try and make the biggest name for yourself here but lose it all. Jesus says, store your treasures up in heaven where rust, rust, rust and moth cannot destroy. And so where is your treasure? Where, where is it that you are placing your hope what is it 
that will make you happy. If you can point to anything other than Jesus, it's going to fade. It needs to be Jesus. Our identity needs to be in Jesus because he is the better deliverer, the better provider, the better healer, and ultimately the better leader. He can only do what nobody else can do. He can bring you true satisfaction to your life. Father God, I pray as you're, again, just working in our hearts, and God, you have done all the work. When you sent your son to die on the cross, so that if we believe in him, we can have eternal life. But God, this world tries to throw other things at us that we seek after. And God, I just pray that you reveal to us that you are better. Show us the pettiness of all that stuff compared to you. And God, may we just seek first your kingdom. May we live for you. And God, for those who have placed their faith in you, help us hold fast to who you are more than anything else, that we are willing to forsake this world so that we can hold on to you. And God, if there be somebody in this room who has not given their life over to you, that they're seeking to be delivered through something else, show them who you are. And God, just work in their lives, work in all our lives. May we be moldable by you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this.